Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Catherine. She's 37 and 20 weeks pregnant. She's been trying to conceive for about a year and was so ecstatic to finally get pregnant with a baby boy through IUI this year. While this is an extremely exciting time for her, Catherine has not had an easy time with this pregnancy so far. She started feeling exhausted as soon as she got the positive test results at four weeks. She's also extremely nauseous and all her joints hurt. She tried a few prenatal vitamins, but they only made her more sick. She finally found a Whole Foods one that she liked and can keep it down, but even with it, she was still feeling terrible. Everyone kept saying that things are going to get better after the first trimester, but that came and went, and she was still feeling the same. That's when she came to see me, wondering when this will pass and what she can do to help. I tested Catherine to assess her nutritional status and found that she was quite deficient in many vitamins and minerals, but she was taking a prenatal vitamin recently and was diligent with it. Why would she be so deficient? I knew we needed to dig further into her history to find the missing pieces to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated undermined and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Catherine. She's pregnant and still feeling terrible even in her second trimester. When I met Catherine, I learned that she wasn't eating well before she got pregnant, and after testing her, she was quite depleted in many nutrients, so my sense was something nutritionally was going on here. Joining me on the show today to talk about this more is Kristen Mallon. Kristen is a board-certified nurse midwife OB with a private practice in the New York City metro area. She's a pregnancy expert, a published author, and the co-founder of Vibrant Beginning Pregnaceuticals, a pure and natural line of super high-quality nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum. Kristen has delivered thousands of babies, and she's a mother of four herself. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Now, Kristen, why do people experience pregnancy symptoms such as fatigue and nausea during pregnancy? The number one reason why people really experience fatigue and nausea in the first trimester is because their hormones are changing quite significantly and quite rapidly, specifically in relation to 
human gonadotropin, which is HCG, which is the hormone that makes a pregnancy test positive when you pee on a stick, estrogen, and progesterone. So these three hormones primarily, your system has is just unindated with them. And then that causes different women to have different reactions and different symptoms. Now, how common are these negative pregnancy symptoms? 80% of women will experience nausea, fatigue, or both. Gotcha. Now, what about other symptoms aside from these two? Are there any other symptoms that people can typically experience? Yeah. So I would say the next most common thing, this is just anecdotally, is would be breast tenderness, or women can sometimes have feelings of as if they're taking a birth control pill. So sometimes low-grade headaches or they'll have um, some gastrointestinal upset. Some women will start to have um, swelling or they'll start to feel pressure if they have any varicose veins or varicosities. That's like sometimes the first symptom that they'll notice right away. Or sometimes changes in appetite or smells or food aversion. So I would say those are the kind of the next most common things that people notice. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that this is very common in the first trimester, but we often hear that as we get into the second trimester and later in pregnancy, that typically gets better. What are some reasons why people may continue to not feel well past the first trimester? So that's a really good question. When women become pregnant, they their body will start to produce these hormones. They actually Um, even before the egg is fertilized, they produce something called a follicle, which supports the pregnancy, which produces a corpus luteum cyst. This happens in the ovaries. Um, And then that helps to support the pregnancy. And then once the egg and sperm is fertilized, the placenta will attach to the wall of the uterus, maybe a week later, um, when you're about three weeks pregnant, and then that will start to grow and then the hormones start to rise. So usually the symptoms will start to come on. Sometimes women notice it one day to the next, but it's usually because the, the hormones have hit a critical threshold where now the woman is starting to feel sick or starting to feel the symptoms. And that continues to rise until about nine weeks. And then we have a little bit of a plateau in the hormones. And then the body is very smart. And so it will adjust. It will kind of acclimate to the increase in hormones. So the hormones actually aren't going away or decreasing. It's just that the body is getting used to it. And the body is learning how to handle, for example, with progesterone, it slows slows down smooth muscle contractility. So that's great for your uterus because your uterus is made of smooth muscle cells, but your bowel is also made of smooth muscle cells. So it's slowing down uterus contractility so you don't miscarry and you don't have contractions and you don't, um, the uterus doesn't expel the pregnancy, but it also will slow down your gastrointestinal tract and cause things like indigestion, acid buildup, heartburn, constipation, nausea, vomiting. Um, and that's because it's slowing down the, the, the bowel system. And so if you, so when women get used to that, they kind of, um, adjust, their body will adjust and then it starts to go away usually around somewhere between 12 to 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't go away fully, a lot of times it's a new, it's something new that's taken over. So a lot of times when nausea and vomiting doesn't go away by 16 weeks, it's actually related more to heartburn and GERD or gastrointestinal reflux than it is to the hormones causing them to be nauseous. Mm-hmm. And then what about things like fatigue or just that overall malaise? Do you feel like nutritional status has something to do with that if it doesn't go away after the first trimester? Yeah. So definitely nutritional status has a lot to do with fatigue. And we know for sure that low iron levels can cause fatigue, low B complex levels can cause fatigue, low vitamin C, D, 
anything that's going to help support normal hormone functioning is going to cause fatigue in the second trimester. That's really good to know. Why do you think that some people have easier pregnancies than others? Do you think they're just lucky? There definitely is some preliminary research that's coming out now about the way we metabolize certain drugs and the way we metabolize hormones. And they have kind of preliminarily put people into five categories of normal metabolizer, fast metabolizer, super fast metabolizer, slow metabolizer, and super slow metabolizer. So it is possible that our, we are predisposed, that there isn't anything that we can do about it, that our genetics are playing a role. There's a field of medicine now called nutrigenomics, which is basically how our genes are affected by hormones, diet, vitamins, supplements, things like that, and medications. And so there probably is something of that going on that we just don't know about yet. We haven't, the research isn't there five years from now or 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, oh, you're a slow metabolizer of hormones. And that's why it's taken you longer to get over this hump in the first trimester or why you're so sick in the first trimester. There is metabolic disease too. Some women do have metabolic diseases and those can certainly be treated with different vitamin supplementation. I think it's common knowledge for a lot of pregnant women, maybe not women who aren't pregnant yet, but if you've been pregnant, that a lot of times a physician will recommend the vitamin B6 to help support nausea. And that will drastically reduce nausea for some women in pregnancy because their nausea might be related to a metabolic issue. So I definitely think nutrition can play a big role for sure. Yeah, I'm really glad you're saying that. And it's something that I experienced myself too. When I was pregnant, I didn't really have a lot of symptoms, but of course I ate very well. I took care of myself. I took the right supplements and people would often say to me, oh, well, you're pregnant. So you should just eat dessert or you're pregnant. So yeah, just have more or just you should eat whatever you want. And I thought that that was always such a funny statement because when you're pregnant, I know a lot of people think, well, you can eat whatever you want, but really we're pregnant. So we're actually growing a baby inside us, right? So we have to nurture ourselves and that baby at the same time. So I never really understood that we'll just eat whatever you want because you're pregnant. And so I think, at least in my experience, because I did eat really well and I did take care of my body, that was, and again, I can't say for sure, because obviously I don't have any research um, with not doing that on myself, but I feel like that at least had a part to play in the fact that I felt well. Definitely. I think you bring up two really good points. One is long gone is this adage of eating for two in pregnancy. And it's a well-known fact that especially for American women, our babies are, they're about a pound bigger than they were a hundred years ago. And they're half a pound bigger than the rest of the world. And we're gaining more weight than the recommended 25 to 35 pounds. Actually in, in my practice, we tell women to only gain 18 to 25. We use a European model and it's even less in Asian cultures. In Asian cultures, sometimes they'll only tell women to gain 12 or 15 pounds. So even just kind of our standard, which our standards are random, and that's something, it's a really good thing for us to talk about too, is that we don't really have great standards for pregnancy in terms of nutrition in the US, in terms of weight gain in the US, and in terms of recommended dietary intake. And so a lot of physicians are left stuck with kind of designing their own recommendations. And you know, eating for two, which I think is, is something that we have to kind of do away with and go back to eating properly and eating correctly. And another really good point that you brought up is sometimes women will 
do what they want, eat what they want, drink whatever they want. And then once they get that positive pregnancy test, they're now starting to eat properly and eat well. And they come to me and they ask me about their diet. And But really it's the preconception time. So those three months before you get pregnant, that is so crucial and critical and vital to having your first trimester go as well as it can for your genes. So, you know, it's a nurture and nature thing. You have what you are already predisposed to experience in pregnancy. And sometimes you can't get away with that no matter what you do and how hard you try and how wonderful you eat. And and then there are things that you can control. And that needs to start happening before the, you know, usually about 12 weeks before the positive pregnancy test. Mm, Yeah, that's so good to know. And in Catherine's case, she was doing a lot of things to get pregnant, but nutrition was not one of them. So she wasn't really supporting her body. And she actually ended up gaining about 15 pounds in the first trimester, uh, which is when I met her. So that makes sense that some of those things may not have been in place. And for everyone listening, I know that some of you already have kids, but many of you are looking to have kids in the coming years or maybe have your second or your third. And so it's just something to keep in mind that if we can take the 12 weeks before we want to get pregnant to really take care of our body, to really balance our nutrients and make sure that we're getting all the proper nutrition, it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And then you, there's another great point that you bring up is sometimes women, so women do change things, right? Right. When they get pregnant, they, now they're changing things. And one of these things can be adding in a supplement. And that's a very common thing is that women aren't taking prenatal vitamins before they get pregnant or they're taking them a couple, maybe a month before or or they start taking it when they find out they, they are pregnant, which is four weeks in, they get a positive pregnancy test. Oh, I got to go out and get a prenatal vitamin now. And then they're choosing a supplement, which is actually making them sick. And that's a really common thing I see in, in my practice a lot. Now, why do you think some of those supplements can make people sick? There's so many reasons, Ina. We could talk about it for hours, but a few key things would be, number one is they're taking a, a brand that's loaded with dyes or it's loaded with fillers or um, non-natural ingredients. So, and when I say that, I mean things that um, things that can be added to vitamins to bulk them up. And the second thing is, this is very, very common, is women women take a prenatal vitamin with iron. And this is one of the things that I in in my own supplement, I don't put iron in my prenatal vitamin for many reasons, but one of them is. Iron is very constipating. It slows down your gastrointestinal tract, which is already being slowed down as it is in pregnancy, and it can contribute even more to nausea and vomiting. So sometimes that simple fact of just changing someone's prenatal vitamin to one that doesn't have iron will help to reduce their constipation, their nausea, their vomiting in the first trimester. And not always, but it's, it's a good place to start. And the second thing is Iron should never be in a prenatal vitamin in the first place because if we remember back to chemistry in, in high school, where iron falls on the periodic table, iron will bind very heavily to calcium. They actually match perfectly. So when you bind iron to calcium, you're not absorbing either. And so your prenatal vitamin has to either have one or the other. It shouldn't have both because you're not, you, it could say it has 18 milligrams of iron, but you're not absorbing that. And then in turn, you're sacrificing some of the calcium that's in that vitamin as well. And then that's going to just leak. That's another thing that your body is now processing. Your liver has to process. Your liver has to release the enzymes to process. It has to go through your gastrointestinal tract and get out of the bo- get expelled out of the body. And that can lead to even more of a shutdown in your gastrointestinal system than you already have anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the iron thing is so interesting and so important, especially because if people know about preconception care and they're able to take prenatal vitamins for the 12 weeks before they get pregnant, as you mentioned, that's a time that they definitely don't need iron. So then, and there's some people actually that are trying to get pregnant and maybe taking a prenatal vitamin for a year or even longer. And then they're getting all of this iron if their iron, if they prenatal, excuse me, has iron in it, which obviously isn't good. The first trimester and oftentimes the second trimester, the body doesn't even need that much iron. If anything, they may need some at the very end and it's not even everyone, right? That's that's 100% right. So it's only about 9 or 10% of women that actually need to supplement with iron in their pregnancy. And what happens is, is that a lot of physicians, I see this all the time, especially physicians who are not obese, who are not experienced with pregnancy, they will see blood work on a pregnant woman in the second trimester when hemodilution is pregnant. And I'll, I'll get into what that is exactly. And they'll see a hemoglobin level of 10.4, which is completely normal. So, so normal hemoglobin in a non-pregnant woman, we want to see it above 11.5. And then that would make us feel that her iron stores are sufficient. And there's other ways to test. We can test ferritin, we can test iron binding capacity and things like that. And, and that's a, another separate topic as well. But for, for pregnancy, especially in the second trimester, we do see women that have iron levels as low as 10. And that can be normal because your body is producing more blood, but it's also producing more water as well. And so you have a watered down blood and it's completely normal to have a little bit lower hemoglobin level in the second trimester. And so a lot of women are panicked by other doctors or or physicians or nurses or other people who are not experienced in pregnancy with a low level that's below 11.5 in pregnancy. And then they're told to take iron when they don't really need it. And then that can lead to heartburn and constipation because iron is really harsh. When you don't get iron from a food source, it's very harsh on the body. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think another reason to not have iron in the prenatals and for people that are very, very low and may need iron in their last trimester, you can always take iron separately. And then you can titrate the dose. You could try different types of iron. This way you don't have to stop your vitamin completely. Right. And not take iron at the same time as calcium and magnesium. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Uh, Kristen, what should a good prenatal vitamin include? We know that it shouldn't have iron ideally, but what should it have? This is a really good point that you bring up. So we don't have guidelines in pregnancy as of right now from the Food Nutrition Board or the Institute of Medicine or the CDC. We only have the recommendation to have 400 to 800 micrograms of folic acid. That's it. Um, We do have a recommendation about iodine, you know, having 100 or 150 micrograms of iodine. Other than that, it's really open to interpretation, which is why there's such a range in prenatal vitamins in terms of what they have in them. But in order to have a healthy pregnancy, number one thing after folic acid or folate, and, and methylated folate is a better form of folate than folic acid. But the number one thing after that would be DHA, EPA, or essential fatty acids. So more than 90% of the fetal brain is made up of DHA, EPA, and omega-3s. This is something that as a culture, we are extremely deficient in. And I sit, tell all my patients, 250 milligrams minimum of DHA and 100 milligrams minimum of EPA. So that would be probably the next most important thing after the folate. After that, you get into the B vitamins, which I think are extremely important, excuse me, B12. 
So looking for a methylcobalamin form of B12 with ideally at least 100 micrograms would be essential. Other B vitamins, including B6, B1, B2, B3, B6 is also known as peroxidine, B1 is thiamine, B2 is riboflavin, B3 is niacin. These are extremely important for energy, for neurological development, for decrease in nausea, for the proper formation of the nervous system. We also need calcium, which is a very large uh, molecule. And so it's hard to get a lot of calcium in a prenatal vitamin that's only a one a day. So I tell most of my patients three a day minimum because a three a day is going to have usually enough calcium and magnesium in it. Most prenatal vitamins have very, very, very little, if any, calcium because it is so large and to get it into one pill is hard to do. Um, Pregnant women need a minimum of 500 milligram supplementation of calcium a day and that could be from food, from dairy, from cheese, um, or it can be from their supplement. Magnesium is extremely important, also very large. Zinc is very important, selenium, chromium, copper, magnase. You, you really need vitamin A and E. You really need, um, and vitamin D, you really need a vitamin that's going to have at least 20 different vitamins and minerals in it. And many prenatal vitamins will have eight or nine, and they're just they're just too deficient. Although, Again, it's coming from from the family and the partnership between nutrition and health versus something that's put out by the CDC or the RDA or the Food Nutrition Board, which is where we get our basic recommendations for a daily multivitamin. And I think what people also need to remember, especially with the RDA, that is the minimum amount that you need to essentially stay the same. That's how I explain it to people. But you don't want to stay the same. We want to actually improve our health. We want to optimize things. We want to have a really healthy pregnancy. So ideally, we don't want to just take the very minimum to stay the same, especially in the case with Catherine, she wasn't feeling well. She was extremely deficient. When I tested her, all of her vitamin and minerals were extremely low. So we would want to actually have a little bit more than just the bare minimum to stay the same. And Kristen, you mentioned methylated vitamins. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that because for everyone listening, methylated B vitamins are in their active form. So a lot of people may not have the proper enzymes to be able to convert regular B vitamins into the methylated form. And by taking the methylate, you're taking the activated form. So you're saving your body an extra step so it doesn't have to work so hard. And I find a lot of the prescription vitamins, which so many of us are given by our OBs and doctors because we think, well, it's prescription. It has to be good. But those are the ones that only have six, seven, or eight ingredients. And it's usually one pill, which I know is convenient. But as Kristen was saying, calcium and magnesium are both really bulky. It's really hard to get all of that plus the other 20 vitamin and vitamins and minerals all in one pill. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about pregnancy and MTHFR, which is why folate or methylated folate really is the best choice for everyone. And when you need to take folic acid and whatever your physician or or midwife recommends for your dosing of folic acid, um, the methylated form is by far the much superior form. And that adding that extra step in to for what you're saying. So when you take folic acid, which is harder for your body to absorb and digest versus methylated folate, the methylated folate is going to 
make it easier for your body to process when your body is already working harder and then it's going to lead to less fatigue, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. And it's not going to sit on the receptor. If you take a lot of folic acid, it blocks the receptor so folic can't get in. So that's just an extra bonus of taking the natural. Right. Kristen, what about specific foods? Are there foods that are helpful for energy or helpful, say, for nausea when someone is not feeling well? I love that you bring up this um, thing about food. And I get this all the time about whole food vitamins and and why do I have to take vitamins when I can just take food? And my family actually is from Iowa and they're a family of farmers 300 years back, many, many, many generations. And modern day farming practices, the way that we farm now in the US, in China, in South America, in Central America, where a lot of our food is coming from, is so mainstreamed and so manufactured that a lot of our food, unfortunately, is very deficient in the very vitamins and minerals that we think that it has. So even, and that's why eating macro is so popular, and that's why it's it's very good for you. Um, but we don't always have access to food, local food. And even sometimes when food is local, it's still not grown in the way that it was meant to be grown. So I, I always say in the Bible, the Bible tells us how to grow food, which is that crops were meant to be rotated and soil is meant to be rested. Every seven years, soil should be rested. And we don't do these things anymore. We grow the same food. We grow soybeans in the same soil year after year after year for decades. And so that soil, while it is fertilized and they try to remineralize the soil, they're cutting corners more and more. And, and, I, and I love farmers, but they just have to, to, to meet the bottom line, to keep food affordable for, for the masses. And so th- those foods are lacking in the essential vitamins and minerals that we think that we have. I actually even think that where we had put the standard. So a lot of times you see now on apps and on the internet, you know, this, uh, a cup of soybean will have this much zinc or will have this much manganese. And I don't even know if that's true anymore because of the way that we farm. So that's why I, I think that women who take therapeutic supplements or supplements that are the exact way that they are found in our body, even though they might be made in a lab or even though they might be synthesized um, in a lab are actually getting a better nutritional response than women who are just eating foods. Yeah, that's good to know. So yeah, food alone is really not enough. If you're pregnant, you really want to make sure you're eating good foods, of course, nutritious foods, and that you're getting good protein and lots of fruits and vegetables and good, clean, whole grain carbohydrates. But then you really want to make sure that you take a very good prenatal vitamin with DHA with enough calcium and preferably no iron, unless there's a very specific need for iron that your doctor who's knowledgeable in this has recommended. Right. So Kristen, as we wrap up here, what are your three best pieces of advice for those who are pregnant or maybe are looking to get pregnant and want to make sure that they have a healthy pregnancy and minimize their pregnancy symptoms or those who are already pregnant who want to minimize their pregnancy symptoms? I would say that the number one thing to do, well, three, three top things. One would be get on a high quality, low, no, low or no filler vitamin supplement before conceiving 
that is free of iron and has the B vitamins in the methylated form. So I'm kind of rolling a lot of things into the first thing, but I think the first thing would be to try to get a prenatal that you can take beforehand that is very, very high quality. I think that would be um, the first thing. The second thing I would say is to evaluate your food choices and evaluate your diet so that you can see what it is that, that you're eating and try to get as clean as possible. So, you know, eating preservative free, eating foods that have very low shelf lives, you know, trying to clean up the diet as much as possible. And then the, the third thing I would say is to go out and get what you were saying with Catherine is get a micronutrient test to see where you might be deficient so that you can fix that before you get pregnant. And, and you can even fix that in pregnancy. You know, we, we do some micronutrient supplement testing in pregnancy too. Um, and I think that what micronutrient testing is, it's a functional medicine test. Not all physicians do it. It unfortunately sometimes does carry an extra cost. You know, we, we run one in our office that's $85 and it will tell you on a cellular level. So not a blood level or not a serum level where you're deficient in certain vitamins. And I think that level of testing is we do it with all our preconceptions because I think that's so important, all our preconception visits, but getting that information is really helpful for patients to then set themselves up for healthy pregnancies where they can feel as best as they possibly can with, with the genetic material they have, you know, with, with how, what they got from their parents. Mm -hmm. And that's so good to know that the micronutrient testing is $85. That's not a lot of money because there are some other functional medicine testing that can run hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So it's wonderful to know that people can get that for less than $100. Yeah. And the more, the better. I mean, obviously it would be great, you know, if, if we could all afford thousands of dollars of testing, that would be great. But, you know, just starting with something, because I think it's eye-opening for a lot of women, they're taking a supplement or like in Catherine's case, she was taking a whole food supplement. And, and that's very dangerous because we don't know how much is actually in food anymore. Um, and so she thinks she's getting 150 milligrams of magnesium in her whole food blueberry supplement. But in fact, she wasn't getting hardly any because of the way, the way blueberries are farmed. So even though the farmer thinks or the, whoever made the vitamin thinks that blueberries should have this amount of magnesium, unfortunately, it's not the case anymore. And so that's why, you know, it's good to get the testing to show, okay, I'm taking this whole food supplement, which I think might have everything that I need in it, but does it really? Mm -hmm. Yes. And to that point, also, additionally, the vitamin may not have as much as it says that it does. A lot of the whole food vitamins in general, even on the label, show a lot less. So a very popular whole food vitamin for B12, and I looked at a few of them, will have an average of about six micrograms of B12. And Kristen, I know you mentioned that ideally we want to have 100. So that's a huge difference. Right. Same thing for calcium. A lot of the popular whole food vitamins have about 50 milligrams, maybe 75. If that. If, if that. that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. I've seen I've seen them with six milligrams of calcium, and I think they just put that on there so they can say calcium included, when six milligrams of calcium is, is nothing. It's, it's like, like eating yeah. one piece of broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> if that. Right. So, but I think that what you mentioned too is that, you know, women also worry about, am I going to get too much? You know, uh, there's a prenatal vitamin out there that has six 
micrograms of B12, where I'm recommending 100 micrograms of B12. And the thing about your body, again, your body is very, very, very smart. So your body, especially with B vitamins, they're water soluble, and it will just pass through your body what it doesn't need. But you want to give your body, it's like going to a feast, you want to give your body the option of eating everything and not starving versus not taking enough. And now your body wants more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the water soluble ones, like you said, with the water soluble, it'll pass through. We do want to be mindful of the fat soluble vitamins. Those are the vitamin E, D, K, E. We don't want to get too much, but of course, in good quality vitamins, those ratios are optimized so that you're not getting more than what you need or what you can handle of the fat soluble ones. That's right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for all of this information. I so appreciate you being here. My pleasure. As we just heard, hormones and nutritional deficiencies can play a large role in how we feel while pregnant. I'll tell you more about what we did for Catherine in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Kristen Mallon, her OB midwifery practice, or the prenatal vitamins, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number 16. There, as always, you'll find all the detailed show notes so you can reference everything that she and I talked about. Now, in Catherine's case, her nutritional status before getting pregnant was not optimal. And even though she was diligent with the prenatal vitamin afterwards, it was unfortunately not nearly enough for her needs. As Kristen was explaining, it's very important for our vitamins to be in the active form so that we can properly use and absorb them. So often we take things that our bodies can't process and not only does it not absorb, it can actually hurt us because of the fillers and other additives and they create more of a stress on the liver, which has to detoxify them and in turn then causes us to feel worse and not better. Catherine's test results showed that she was extremely low in all of her vitamins and minerals across the board. She was also high in a few inflammatory markers, specifically the HSCRP, which stands for high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Now, between the low levels of nutrients she was getting in her prenatal and her processed food diet, this is all starting to make sense. So we worked on changing her diet to one that's rich in fruits and vegetables and good quality protein and worked on reducing her sugar as that can also affect our gut and the absorption of nutrients. I started Catherine on a methylated prenatal vitamin that was free of additives and had a much higher percentage of nutrients she needed, which is called prenatal brilliance by Viber Beginning. And since the nutrients are so absorbable and there's no iron, unlike her previous vitamin, which had 30 milligrams of iron that she didn't need at all, Catherine did great with this one and her nausea subsided within a week which is so exciting. Her test results show deficiencies in all vitamins, but the biggest was for vitamin B6 and vitamin D. And while prenatal brilliance has a very good amount of B6, for Catherine specifically, we needed to add a bit extra. And so we used a B6 from Designs for Health called P5P. It's a phosphorylated active form of B6. She was also very low in vitamin D. Her level was only 15. Now the optimal range of D is between 30 and 100, but as you can see, that's a huge range. So ideally we wanna be somewhere in the middle around 50 or 60, especially in pregnancy. And so in addition to D that's in the prenatal, we added 4,000 of vitamin D in liquid form. We use the liquid because vitamin D is fat soluble and it often doesn't absorb as easily if taken in capsules. I didn't want to take any chances with Catherine as we needed to get her levels up quickly and 
effectively. She also showed a lot of inflammation. So we added an EPA and DHA blend to help support that in addition to its powerful effects for the baby's brain development. We used an EPA DHA blend from Designs for Health and added an additional DHA from Vibrant Beginning. Between the nutrients and the food changes, Catherine's joint pain reduced by 80% and her energy started to improve within two weeks. And a month after that, she felt so much more like herself and was able to function normally at work and enjoy her daily activities again. If Catherine sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to this podcast because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. As always, when it comes to solving your health issues, no matter how complex they may seem, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.